It's an honor today to be able to get up and uh, speak to you today about our relationship with the Holy Spirit. In the past few weeks, past three weeks, we've heard from Nathan on the reality of the Holy Spirit, his work and his personhood and the divine Godhead. And then the, the next week he was uh, talking about the reality of the Holy Spirit and his work and applying the finished work of redemption. And then from Adam last week, we heard about our relationships and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so it's gotten a little more practical. I mean, we got doctrine at first, and now we're getting practicality with Adam. Hopefully today will be uh, even more practical uh, as far as understanding about the Holy Spirit and us. So this week, our look is at our relationship with the Holy Spirit it's how we engage the Holy, uh, with the Holy Spirit and then how we know that we have connected with the Holy Spirit and some of the fruits of the Holy Spirit uh, when you're some examples of that. And uh, so, like I said, I hope this will be a, something where you can learn from it and apply it to your life, uh, understanding the Holy, how the Holy Spirit works with you and in you and through you. I do have a disclaimer uh, about the material I'm using today. Uh, I collected this from some bits and pieces uh, of a series that John Barnett, uh, he's a, a, uh, the uh, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I found uh, a, a discipleship series that he has that you can get a hold of that part of it was about the Holy Spirit and there's like 12 lessons or so about the Holy Spirit and I just kind of cherry picked to get something that would fit into uh, this topic from him and his stuff is so good I really suggest that you look him up and and, uh, check him out. He's uh, he was trained at the Master Seminary and uh, he went from there to Dallas Seminary and got his PhD in Biblical history. Uh, and then he came back to the master seminary and uh, taught there. He was on staff at Grace to You with John MacArthur. He was discipled by John MacArthur. And then he took things he learned from all that and started this discipleship thing he does through his church and on, on uh, he takes it uh, internationally even. So if you want to look him up, just if you're interested, uh, it's uh, called Discover the Book, just all one line of letters. You don't have any spaces in it. Discoverthebook.org. And if you want to check him out, yeah, you can. Uh, he's got some really good stuff, not only on that, but on revelations and a whole lot of different uh, subjects. And with the way the world is right now, it's pretty timely to look at some of that stuff. So anyway, all that said, uh, I remember... Uh, as I, after I became a, a Christian and started learning about the Holy Spirit and hearing about it, and you know, I knew it was in me. Uh, if you, if any man in Christ, you'll know that you have the Holy Spirit in you. But I kept hearing sermons about, uh, you know, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and 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 I kept hearing that, but I never could understand, you know. Well, how does that happen? And I was thinking, what, what do I need to do to, to be filled, you know, to realize the Holy Spirit in me? And uh, 
Uh, and even I can remember sermons on, on the verse in Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with spirit. And I would think, well, okay, how do I do that? And they even they explain, you know, it's be being filled with the spirit. Well, uh, if we can get our first slide up there. Yeah, engaging with the Holy Spirit. Next slide. Next slide. There we go. So we're going to stay on that one for a while. Uh, when we look at that, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The secret is in the one word that's used uh, is translated be filled, and that's pleruthla. Ruthla. Pleruthless means to be filled. It's a Greek word that... Uh, it's that single word describes everything God wants to do through us if we'll just yield to him. And there's four parts to that word. The first part is it's imperative, it's plural, it's passive, and it's present, present tense. And it, all those are ver- the verb form it is, which I'm not really good at that, but this guy explained it to me, so I'm going to explain it to you. Uh, it means God commands something when it's an imperative. Okay, we're going to start there. God, when something is an imperative, it means God is commanding something. And Scripture gives doctrine uh, all throughout in the form of indicatives. That would be the, the tense of that. But uh, and among all these indicatives, we've been hearing a lot about indicatives as we studied through this about the the. Holy Spirit, but there's a lot of you know facts about it. It's just the doctrine of God about that. But in hidden in those or placed within those uh, in, indicatives, God will put this in, these imperatives that are just they're the, just flaming commands that we we're called to, to uh, be obedient to, uh, and it's it's based on that doctrine. And then you have a duty to respond to it, and it's not a suggestion. It's a command from the Almighty God. Now, thinking about this command as it has to do being filled with the Spirit, uh, let me give you an illustration that might help you visualize this, okay? Uh, The Lord says, you know, you're to be filled with the Spirit. Well, remember God, Jesus bought us with a price. He paid for us, and it's as if... uh, when you're a born again Christian, uh, Jesus says, "All right, you're now mine." It's like this area up here is uh, a plot of ground, okay? And that's us. We're a plot of ground that Jesus has bought, okay? And He says, "I own the ground of your life." So imagine uh, this plot here, and God says, "I bought this. I paid for it, and I paid for it with my own blood. So now it's mine." Now I'm asking you to surrender every part of that ground that I bought from you. Your body, your life, the field that you are, surrender it to me. And any part that you surrender to me, I'll start growing fruit. That's where the fruit of the Spirit starts coming from. It's when that part of your life is surrendered to God and instead of what was going on before is going on, now it's surrendered to God so that spirit, the Spirit produces fruit there. Uh, 
Uh, and if we, if if he is controlling, like an area like our amusements, uh, then the fruit of 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 that is we only amuse ourselves with whatever is true or honest or just or lovely and it's with a good report that's the things we think about so see how that's working and if he's controlling your lot your family life say then wisdom that comes from above which is pure and peaceful and gentle and easily entreated and full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and hypocrisy that's what's going to be growing out of that part of your life but say there's anger or irritation or rivalous, rivalous living and that kind of and, uh, any kind of sneaky parts of one's life uh, and we're doing stuff that we should be ashamed of and we're hiding things those parts are not under his control so see how it works you have to surrender every area of your life to him so that he can send his spirit and start growing the fruit of the spirit in those areas of your life so it's in, it's in, uh, it's imperative that, that God asks and he's in asking us to respond and that's our duty and the indi- uh, the indicatives are the just the uh, doctrinal explanations of what, this, what's, what it's all about. Imperatives are personal responses to God's truth. And our prayer should be, uh, may we, may the Lord de- deliver us from thinking or even knowing that it's equivalent just to know the doctrines without doing what he tells us to do about it or with it. Uh, and you, you think about most Christians, they are filled up to the brim with doctrines and knowledge about doctrines, but they are so shallow in their application of those doctrines. We're not to be hearers of the word only, we're supposed to be doers of the word. Uh, and so uh, God's saying, don't allow that to persist in our lives. As a church, we can't allow just knowing about it to persist in our lives. We need to be applying whatever God's teaching us to our lives. Uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit is our supreme obligation because Almighty God himself is, is commanding us, so it is imperative to do this. Not only is it an imperative, but it's plural. When it's plural, that means that God is speaking to all of us. Every believer... Uh, God, uh, born again Christian has the spirit and the spirit uh, filled walk is for every believer so it's, it's not just certain people it's for all of us so it's plural and not only was it plural it's passive and passive means that it's not something we do it's kind of uh, weird isn't it but we don't say that I'm going to be filling myself. And that's where I think I was getting hung up before uh, in my thinking. I was thinking, I just got to, you know, if I just get this right or that right, I'll be filled with the Spirit. No, it's a passive thing. Uh, And there's a real danger here with some people that equate excitement or feeling and and being excited with being full of the Spirit. 
That's why the whole Christian concert movement can go off tracks. And people think that if they just can, you know, pump it up and get excited and and let's see how far it can go, uh, that they're going to be filled with the Spirit. No, it's not something that we pump up, pump ourselves up with. It's something that we, that God takes over when we surrender. And when we consecrate ourselves and when we deny ourselves and when we crucify that part of our lives, there's the key right there. More and more, the more we do that, the more we come, become under his control. And remember, we got all, when we got saved, we got all of him. John 1, 16 says, for all of his fullness, fullness we have uh, received. It doesn't say that we get like a quarter teaspoon when we get saved or an eighth of a teaspoon. No, he gives us all of himself at salvation. And then he won't, and then he waits for us to surrender so these garden plots of our life to his planting and, and his plowing and his pruning and his fertilizing and his getting, getting it ready. It's passive, though, which means God is asking us to open up our lives to his filling, allowing him to come in and change the things that are going on. But we have to surrender that to him. We can't hold on to it. Let the Spirit fill you. Uh, it's what God's saying. And this is a direct call for our unreserved yielding to God's control. He's saying, I want your driving. I'm going to hit some points here for you. I want your driving. I want your entertainment life. I want your spiritual disciplines to be under my control. I want your finances. I want your schedule. I want every part of your life. I don't want you to be cubbyholing me and having your little church part over here and saying, that's yours, God, but the rest is mine. He wants it all. Now I'm asking everyone in here to think of that like this. I'm just speaking this directly to you. I hope you are already, but focus in on this. Do you believe that this word is an imperative? Do you believe it's to you? Do you believe it's something that God does that you have to surrender for him to do it. And you believe it's uh, not only for all of you, but it's a next point, a, a, uh, it's a present tense verb. That means it to keep, uh, it means to keep our continually us be to be continually being filled to overflowing so it's something that you're practicing all the time uh, John 4 tells us when Jesus saw the Samaritan, uh, Samaritan woman at the well that he gave her the living water of eternal life uh, and then again on the day of, of a feast in John 7 Jesus told them if you believe in me out of their hearts would flow rivers of living water. See, this happens when you surrender your life to the will of God.
And when, it surrender, when we surrender our lives to the will of God, we experience, our next slide, the transforming power of the Spirit of God. This is how you know that you have made a connection with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, which was uh, one of the part of the scripture that A.J. read us. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away, and behold, new things have come. Salvation is not joining something. It's not me saying a prayer or something. It's not me affirming something. It's me... Be- Uh, becoming the dwelling place of the infinite God of the universe who transforms me by his spirit. I become, and you become, the very dwelling place of God. Uh, In Romans it tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever thought about that verse as it's saying that, it's not saying a gift from God. It's the gift of God. It's God putting himself in you. Isn't that amazing? And it's at that point where things happen. I become and you become the very dwelling place of God. And that changes us. It transforms us. And that's what happened at the, on the day of Pentecost. Just think about it. Did you know uh, that us sitting here in this room this afternoon, every one of us that are born again believers, all of us collectively are a continuation of what happened on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, God moved in and broke down all the racial barriers and the barriers of hatred and all the uh, pompous, you don't belong in my social circle attitudes uh, and lifestyles of the first century church. And he's doing it with us here today. And that's what he continues to do. And that's what is so amazing about being in Christ. Think about what happened on Pentecost. God's Spirit. Next slide. God's Spirit is still doing what it did on Pentecost, it's still washing clean, stained hearts. Sin-stained hearts. Who was there on the day of Pentecost? Think about it. There were all the religious people. Uh, everyone had come from to the feast in Jerusalem. The majority had traveled at great expense. They came uh, three times a year for these feasts that they had, and uh, these are huge events. They were very religious events, very sacrificial events. Uh, and these people were very devoted to their religion to come do this. The only thing is that they had sin-stained hearts. And no amount of that religion can take care of that. You can push it away, uh, or you can try to think about it, uh, not to think about it, or you can ignore it, or you can even try and hope that your good outweighs the bad. But only God's Spirit can wash it uh, wash clean the sin-stained hearts of any, any man. And that's what he did on the day of Pentecost. And that's why everybody that was there that entered the church that day had the same experience. And they were joyfully uh, talking to each other. I can imagine uh, saying to each other, I'm forgiven. 
I'm forgiven. I'm telling you, I'm forgiven. You're telling me, I'm forgiven. And everybody's just going back and forth. I'm forgiven. Uh, and then they were all saying, yeah. And it was Jesus, that one that died on the cross. That's the one that, that, that gave us this forgiveness. Can you imagine the excitement that was at the first day there? And all that was prompted by the Spirit of God entering into them, empowering them to know that God had washed them clean. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit breathed life into the sin-darkened souls. Uh, Everybody... uh, you live next to, that you work next to, that you go to school with, that you're related to, that is not a believer has a sin-darkened soul. That's why you can argue with them all day long uh, with them about something, say abortion, and say, that baby, uh, that's a baby, and they'll say, no, it's, it's just tissue, and and you say, well, no, it's a person created by God. And they say, no, 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 you're just politicizing this thing. You see, they don't understand life begins with conception. And they don't understand that they have a sin-darkened uh, soul. And in, the light of, and, uh, in the light of the truth just doesn't penetrate very far into them. That's why, they, why we have to be careful. Uh, we can't force people to live a righteous life, we can only expose them to the truth and ask God's Spirit to breathe life into them. And that's why it's a dangerous thing uh, to get too wrapped up into Christian political activism. If we're trying to impose God's standards on people that have a totally sin-darkened souls, that's only gonna, they're only going to follow standards as long as they're constrained uh, to do so. And no matter rules or laws uh, can change a heart. As soon as they're, they're loose or away from uh, the influence, they'll go right back to their lostness. If we expect to change sinful lifestyles, uh, that, uh, it's hopeless because you can't hold, hold back sin, darkened souls with just moral rules. That only happens when God's Spirit breathes life into them. You see, there's sin-darkened lives have... Uh, but then you see the sin-darkened lives uh, have breath, uh, life breathed into them. And uh, that's when God gets the praise because he's the one doing it. It's not something we've done. Uh, everybody that's born again... Uh, with an uh, so when God breathes in this uh, life into them, uh, it takes their empty, hopeless life, and it fills them with with some uh, with new life. The ones that aren't filled with life uh, that have the hopeless uh, life. They're always trying to fill it with things like alcohol or sex or money or sports or pursuing uh, all kinds of things. And you know what? 
you can pursue those things, and it's never enough. It's kind of like almost like a drug. You get a you, know, you get a fix, and as soon as uh, it's the new is worn off of that, or the thrill of it's gone, you need more. And it's never enough. It's just empty, hopeless lives. God's Spirit can fill us and make us not empty and hopeless, but give us true fulfillment so that even if you lost everything, and you will someday, and all you have left is God, that's more than enough. The gift of God that cannot be taken away. That's why the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that's what God's Spirit uh, did on Pentecost. He took sin-stained, darkened, and emptied hopeless lives. And he also took, took away barren lives. People who had nothing uh, in their, that was redeemed in their lives, nothing that would last forever. Everything was going to be burned up and were barren and hopeless. He turned them into literal spiritual gardens that we're bearing fruit in all areas. God transforms us by his spirit. And so what does that look like when God transforms our spirit? Uh, if we go to the book of Luke, next slide, uh, we see examples of the Holy Spirit at work. Book of Luke, uh, starts out and it's just you're hearing about the Holy Spirit just one time after another so it, uh, it kind of starts the New Testament with uh, the introduction of the activity of the Holy Spirit and uh, even before the church with, but leading up to the church and Luke 1.15 tells us about John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit and while he was yet uh, in his mother's womb uh, and then in uh, Luke one thirty five, the Holy Spirit calls the conception in Mary. And the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the conduit through which all things God does happens. Remember, he was there in creation, and he was hovering over the, the mist of the deep and the, and the waters. Uh, and he's been active doing God's work throughout all of history. And now with the church starting up, he's there with that. Uh, the Holy Spirit's the conduit through which all, through which all things uh, God does happens. And God the Father is overall, and God the Son is Jesus, and, that, and that's God revealing himself. And the Holy Spirit is the one that does everything and he doesn't want us to be paying attention to him. That's, that's something we find in scripture. Uh, he wants the attention to be put on Christ. And uh, he's the one that does everything and he's the energy behind it though. In Luke uh, 1, 41, the Holy Spirit prompted Elizabeth when she heard Mary's greeting uh, the baby leapt in her womb. And in Luke's uh, 167, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Uh, and so, you know, right there, we've just seen 
the first Holy Spirit-filled family in the New Testament. All these people had the Spirit working in them to do God's will, which was bringing in Christ to the world. In Luke uh, 2.25, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to find Jesus. Uh, so we see him working in the people around him. And then uh, Luke 3.16, John the Baptist said, said of Jesus, he will, be, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he was even uh, being spirit-filled, uh, predicting the Spirit was coming and how it was going to be coming through Jesus. And then in Luke 4.14, Jesus went out in the power of the Spirit and did everything in the will of, of the Father by the power of the Spirit. Uh, and you know what? That's how we should be. We should be doing everything in the power of the Spirit. And we should be doing God's will. When you start surrendering these areas of your life, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you and work those areas and start producing fruit, you're doing God's will, right? Uh, Jesus uh, told us that uh, greater things that we would do, that we're going to do, than he had done in this world. That's a pretty amazing statement. I don't feel like I could do that. And you know what? I can't. You can't. But who can? The only one that can is God. And he does it when you surrender those areas of your life over to him to where you're, you're walking with the Spirit doing the, doing the direction. Jesus fulfilled God's will for him. And the Father's... Uh, uh, God, the Father's will... For God the Son, Jesus, that's what he did. He said, I don't do anything of my own accord. I do what God tells me to do. And he was doing it uh, in the power of the Spirit. And guess, you know what? We've been given a task as believers. Once you become a believer, you belong to him, and you're, you're, you're given things for, for you to do for him. We're supposed to fulfill God's will just like Jesus fulfilled God's will. Uh, and he has a will for us that we need to be fulfilling. You say, well, maybe that's good for you, but not for me. Well, the scripture tells us a lot of things that we should do. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commandments. There's a lot of commandments in there for us to do. And if we love him... We're going to want to do those things. So uh, you say, well, maybe not for me. Well, what about the gospel? Isn't that a command for all of us? We're going to go to share the gospel with all nations, making disciples of all nations. What about, hey, let's just bring it home. What about your family? Are you, as fathers, leading your family the way the Bible tells us to do, like Christ uh, leads the church? in a submissive way where you are dying to yourself so that you can do the best for them? Or as a wife, are you submitting to your husband? Like 
Christ has asked us or told us to do, submit. We're to submit as a church to one another, right? So it's, it's not do that. It's all of us. So are we doing that? Uh, and just in all ways, are we are we living uh, uh, and loving Christ and keeping His commandments? Uh, well, someday we're going to stand before God the Son and God the Father and the Spirit, and the Son will say to the Father, "I bought them." And the Spirit will say to the Father, I was in them and I was waiting to do your will. And the Father will say, hmm, to us, did you do what I designed you to do? You know, God designed us to do a special task for him from the very beginning and God doesn't start something and not finish it. In the very beginning, what did he say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply and take dominion over the earth. Each of us have a plot of land we're on, and we're influencing a part of the earth. Our his, our job is to take dominion over it, not for ourselves, but for him, right? And so if we're going to do that, the only way we can do it for him is by him doing it through us. You get the picture? As you surrender to him, you will start doing what he's put you on this earth to do, is to influence the world for his sake and bring people to Christ and change the world to following him. And so, when we stand before the Father, He say, did you do what I designed you to do? Did you allow my spirit to do my will through you? And did you spend your life, or did you spend your life collecting widgets and things that are just going to burn up with the earth right now? Or did you do what I really called you to do? I know this is short for us around here, but it's a real simple message. We only have one choice if we're going to be obedient, and that's to die to ourselves, to the things that in our life that don't allow the Spirit to change us and to produce fruit and to follow Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that... Uh,